Thank you, Karen. Uh, a special thank you to, to David and Karen for, as David is not up, Davis is not up here leading us in, in praise, thank you to those two who, who took on and only had a week's notice to be able to do so. So thank you to you two. And uh, as you may have noticed, Davis and Tara walked in in the background. So we're thankful that they're here, but we wish that they weren't. So continue to be praying for them that they would that they would be there quickly in the hospital, um, that the Lord would would work, and so continue to be praying for for little Opal and that her arrival. But with that, we continue in our message this morning, walking through the book of Mark. If you turn with me to Mark chapter four, we're continuing with the parables. I'm going to go through. The next three parables that Jesus lays out for us, that being the lamp under a basket, the parable of the seed growing, and the parable of the mustard seed. Paul brought us through the last parable, uh, the parable of the sower last week, and we saw in there that Jesus shared with those in the crowd about the word being sown and how those who hear react and respond to it. We were given three examples, two of which the word produces no fruit in. But the last one hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. These are those who hear the word of God and accept it as truth. And so these next three parables continue in this theme of God's word. The first parable being our responsibility of sharing it. The second parable showing how it is only God who uses the word to produce life, and the third parable being the the expansion of the word of God. And so as we walk through the text this morning, I would ask you to keep in mind how God expands and grows this kingdom of God. And so let us start by reading verse 21 through the end of 34. The word of God. And he said to them, him being Jesus, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in a sickle, because a harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Is it like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth? Yet when it is sown... It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, 
But privately, to his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus begins by sharing, in verse 21, an analogy of a lamp and a basket. And what does Jesus say? He says, Is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, while most of us today understand the importance of light and darkness, if we were to go home and our, it was pitch black outside and our whole um, room was dark, I don't imagine that most of us would walk through it in the dark, although some of us might, just for the challenge. But most of us would find it more appropriate to turn a light on, whether that be the hall light, whether that be a lamp. Each one of us, if we were in our room dark, would probably turn a light on. And what's the point of that? What's the point of turning on a light? I mean, you could, you could walk through in the darkness and we'd probably have a, a good enough grasp of our own home to try to get around. But the point of the, the light is to see exactly where we're supposed to go. If I want to get from my bedroom to the kitchen and I know somewhat the direction I'm supposed to go, but I can't see the obstacles that are in the way. Maybe a toy was left for my son on the ground and I step on it. Or maybe a cord was laid out that I did not see. Unforeseen obstacles that find their ways in. The light is there to be able to present those obstacles, be able to see clearly in the dark. And so in the same way as if everything was off in the church and all we had was a flashlight, and the person holding the flashlight turns it on and then says, I'm going to put this in my back pocket. And we walk through and proceed through the church. And we would look at the person with the flashlight and say, what are you doing? Why would you put our one light that we can see everything in your back pocket? Why would you put the thing that illuminates the darkness in your back pocket? And we would think that there's something wrong with them. There's something that's going on. Why would you do such a thing? In the same way, Jesus is saying, why would you put a lamp that's, on a st- that's supposed to be on a stand giving light to the house under a basket. And what's Jesus saying here? Is he just saying, oh, uh, you should have a light in your house? No. There's a bigger thing that Jesus is trying to, to share with the whole people here. It's a sense that he's saying for noting, this is what Jesus says, for noting nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What is Jesus saying? The gospel is no longer hidden to mankind. There is a darkness that is in the world, but there's a light through Christ. The gospel has been revealed. The gospel of Christ, the truth, this light that shines forth in the darkness is no longer hidden, is no longer, is, is no longer needing to be revealed. It's here. Jesus revealed himself to all of mankind in the form of man to atone for our sins. We see the prophecies from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah are upon them. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, it says, Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this 
This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Elliot read for us this morning Isaiah 53, and I'm not going to, to read the whole thing over again, but I want to bring forth a light, a couple of verses here. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And then verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here is the Son of God on earth to fulfill these prophecies of old. For our benefit, for God's glory, Here is Jesus, the Son of God, revealed. Once a people who knew nothing but darkness, God, being gracious, gave us his Son so that we may be accounted as righteous before his throne, is what Isaiah says. We as gods and who have experienced the saving grace in our lives now have the responsibility of going forward and sharing this light with those around us. Not one person in this room is called to turn on this flashlight and put it in their back pocket. Not one person in this room is called to, to have the mystery revealed to them of the gospel. To have this truth, this light in their possession and to say, I will do nothing with it. I'm going to keep it away. I'm going to keep it hidden. I'm not going to, to bring it into the darkness. In the same way that we would hide a lamp in a dark room and and how that would make no sense, it would make no sense for us to have the gospel and not share it. And yet, I would ask you, how many of us this morning hide the light of the word in a dark world? How many of us sit in the pew this morning Hear that story of the flashlight put in our back pocket and we think that's ridiculous. But then we have the gospel in front of us. We have the mystery revealed to us. And as we go out into the world, we say, no, not today. I'm going to keep that hidden. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. We who have been given much, not by our own great feats or by our own hard work, but by the sacrificial work of Christ, have this mystery revealed to us. 
And do any of us sit back now and say, we're done. I've submitted to God. I know Jesus as my Savior. And now I just await paradise. Not a thing left for me to do. Not a thing left for me to contribute. Now all I do is sit back and wait for my Savior to come. Would we not say this is a ridiculous way of thinking? And so again, I would ask you, do you think this way? Do you think this way in saying, I'm just going to sit back and wait? There's nothing for me to do. And if you say yes, I would ask why? Because it's easier? Because we are scared of the reaction that we might get from, from others in the world? Or here's the one that I, I hear a lot. I'm just not equipped. I want to share the truth. I want to share the word, but I'm just not equipped. I hear what you're saying this morning, Brennan, and I understand it, and, and I know this is something I should do, but I, I just don't feel like I can. Well, if that's your reasoning this morning, Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the, minist- the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and then of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If your worry this morning is that you're not equipped I would tell you, if you possess the Holy Spirit this morning, if you know Jesus to be your Savior and have submitted to him, you're equipped. There won't be a situation that you're put in. There won't be a word that's missing from your mouth when you speak to an individual. That God won't help, that God won't assist by the work of his Spirit. You are equipped this morning. So do not use that as an excuse. Do I have anything special about me this morning that I'm able to stand up here and preach? No. I'm a weak vessel able to be used by a mighty God, and so are you. You are able to be used by a mighty God. Do not think that God cannot work in your lives miraculously for his purposes and his will. That's bringing God down. 
That's saying in Job 40, when God says you have an arm like me, that's saying, yeah, I do have an arm like you. Don't say that this morning. God can work in you in miraculous ways to equip you for his work. And so in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, when Jesus commands, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to walk in the light of the gospel so that those around may give glory to the Father in heaven. That is what we're called to do this morning. And you are equipped to do so. Again, if you don't think you are, if you think there's still something blocking your way, come talk with me this morning. Come talk with elders. You are equipped. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus calls attention to those around him to consider what he's saying. Too often, maybe even during this sermon, you're hearing the words that I'm saying, but you're not hearing the words that I'm saying. What does that mean? He's asking them not to just audibly listen to what he's saying, but to listen and consider to listen and have impact and to have change in their lives. What good is listening if there is not careful considerations of the words that are being spoken? That type of listening produces no fruit, produces no growth in one's life. And it stunts us in most of our, our ways. However, if we listen with the intent to consider, with the intent to grow, with the, content, with the intent to mature, then we see obedience to God's word and a desire to live for our Heavenly Father. And I'd ask you this morning again, is this not what we want? Do we not desire to live obedient lives to God? Do we not desire to live as God intends for us to live? Seemed like an easy question to say, yeah. Yeah, I do want that. Well, then why do you put so many obstacles in the way? Why do you put the basket over the lamp? To live a life that is pleasing to our Father. One that at the end of our days we're met in the joy of our Master with, well done, good and faithful servant. How many would like to hear those words as they come face to face with God? It's important. It's important enough that Jesus says to them again, not just once, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, but then he says, pay attention to what you hear. He says, with the measure you use, it will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here is the result of faithfulness and obedience in the Lord. Those who hear and take heed what they have will be multiplied. 
But for the one who has not, even more will be taken away. What does this mean? Turn with me very quickly to Matthew 25. I'm going to do the the briefest of exegesis on this passage. But Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Most of us know this parable, so it should come quickly to us. But Matthew 25 you know, verse 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's key to first understand here that those who look around and say, well, I'm not currently in the place where I can accomplish X or Y, right? We look around and I say, I don't have the the skill of the individual over there. I don't have the skill of the individual who's able to go out and and preach. I don't have the skill of the individual who who has a boldness to go out and share the gospel. I don't have have the skills to be able to have the interpersonal skills. Whatever you want to say, we compare each other's skills and we, uh, we compare what we've been given. And God is not telling you to be them. That's the problem that we run into. When the master called his servants, he gave each one according to his ability. It says in the beginning of that verse, to one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Too often, one asks, well, I can't do the work of five talents when I only have two talents. No one's asking you to do the work of five talents. 
God is asking you to do the work that he's equipped you with. The specific work. The unique work. The unique skill that you've been given. And yet we compare each other and we say, I can't do what he does. You're right, you can't. Because that's not what you're supposed to do. And so that's the first misconception that, we, that I see so often is I can't do what they can. Right, you don't need to. You need to focus on what God's given you. You need to focus on what he's equipped you with. So do not compare yourself to those around you. But secondly, as the master left, you had two of the servants produce more with what they had been given. For they were faithful and understood their master well. They doubled what they had been given and were rewarded by the master for being good and faithful. This servant is the one who knows their master and bears fruit by what the master has given. You can equate it to nowadays for, for us, the one who has been given the gospel and is a servant of the Lord going out and being a light in the world. Doing exactly and in, with the skills that they have been given, going out into the world and sharing the light of the gospel to those around us. And with the use of those exact talents that they have been given, And they do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And then you have those who have been given the gospel, and they hear it, and they hide it away. Their lives are not different. There is no fruit. They do not use the talent that they have been given, and thus, what does it say? They're cast out. For they did not obey or were faithful to their master. So I'd ask you again this morning, which one are you? Are you the faithful servant who, who comes back to the Lord and says, I've given what you, I've, I've looked over what you've given me and I've actually given you more. And here I'm doing it because I'm faithful to you, I'm obedient to you because I love you. Or you're like the second who has been given and you don't know what to do with it and you're scared of, of so much around and you hide it because you don't want to lose it, you don't want to, to do anything or to damage it when that's not what the master had told you to do. And then you're cast out. Which one are you? I would ask you to consider these hard truths this morning. Understand that God is faithful to change each one's heart if you find yourself being like the second. This is a charge this morning because each one of us can fall into that second, that second servant. That one who just hides it away. Each one can. I would ask you this morning to just consider and to look within yourself to see if that is you. A long first parable, but I promise it goes quicker from here. I want to lay the groundwork of this first parable because this is the importance for going forward. This is the groundwork that Jesus lays for the next two parables proceeding. We're called to be obedient, faithful servants and lights in the world. That's the point of the first. Going forward to the second. Jesus moves forward with another parable, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now here's the most beautiful thing about being faithful and entrusting the Lord. Once we go out and be lights to those around us, 
When the gospel is shared, when one questions why we're different and we share with them, our work is done. Our work is done with that individual. Not saying that we don't come back and share again. But too often we find ourselves, let's say we go out to the pier. Let's say we're just meeting with an individual and we share the gospel with them. And they maybe aren't listening. They may be dismissive of it. They maybe don't hear it. And they turn us away and they reject us. And we walk away distraught. Why? Why do we walk away distraught? Well, they rejected me. They rejected the message. And? It's not your job. It's not your job to make them believe. It's not your job to try to convince them. It's your job to share with them the light. It's your job to share with them the truth. We're supposed to be like this farmer who scatters seeds on the ground and goes to sleep each night, and as he sleeps, the seed sprouts and grows, and the farmer doesn't know how this happened. The farmer has no play in in how it's molded in the ground, but he is faithful each morning, and soon the earth produces by itself that seed that was planted. First you see the blade begin to form, and then the ear, and then the full grain is fully formed. And what was planted as just a seed has miraculously grown into a full plant. And the farmer was just faithful morning by morning, waking up. It was the earth that did the work. It was the earth that created that plant. The same is true with God. We have no ability to make someone grow or to force them to understand. It's not our job to make them believe we're not doing the job of the earth, we're doing the job of the farmer. Being faithful, being obedient. And here's a more dangerous thing that I found myself falling into the trap of. When we get into a debate with someone, when we get into a debate to try to, to, to convince them to, to know who the Lord is, we think we're prideful enough to think that we have intellect and wit to persuade someone to know Christ. And I would grant to you, even if at the end of the three-hour conversation, they say, okay, there has to be a God, I would ask you, was that, what's the point of that debate? So that you would be right? So that they would look at you and say, wow, you're so smart. Wow, Bren, you, you really made me believe that there is a God. Are they a servant to Christ now? Did they submit to Christ at that moment? Did they accept him in their heart? Or did they just say, I don't want to be like that guy? I don't want to be like that individual. You just wasted three hours of your life. Because it's not your job to convince them. It's your job to share with them the truth. Don't be the earth. Be the faithful farmer. That's your job. And then, then once you, you sit back and watch as God miraculously changes someone, grows them from within, and you don't know how, how that's done, then, once the harvest has come, then 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says this, Paul is, is sharing with the church, and, and he, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? 
Is it not all of you? For you are a glory and joy. We play no part in regeneration of the heart, but we do get to experience the benefits of fellowship and spending time with other believers, being able to encourage, being able to love, being able to come alongside, to understand what's going on in each other's lives and to work them out, not by our own means, but by turning each other to Christ. We do get a benefit of being the farmer, but we play no work in growing that seed. I want that to be abundantly clear this morning. Be a faithful farmer. Be obedient morning by morning. But don't think you can create or force someone to believe in God because you can't. So lastly, the last parable Jesus shares. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Is it like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth? Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. It puts out large branches so that all the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, which is one of the smallest seeds that can be sown. Most of us don't know what a mustard seed looks like, but if you were just to to bring out your finger... It'd be just a little itty-bitty tiny ball on the tip of your finger. That's how small a mustard seed is. And so I would imagine the disciples, or even myself, would would ask Jesus, why are you comparing the kingdom of God to this little itty-bitty seed on the tip of my finger? Looks pretty insignificant. Looks pretty small in stature. Why is this what you're comparing the kingdom of God to? Well, Although it's small in size, when sown, the small mustard seed sprouts and becomes larger than all the garden plants. If you ever have seen a mustard seed grow, I don't, I don't imagine any of us have, but if you do see a, a mustard tree, it's about 20 feet tall when it's at full length and its branches spread out like wings and birds of the air can rest in it. This little itty-bitty seed insignificant, small, grows, matures over time by the earth to become 20 feet tall, bigger than all the other garden plants. That's this mustard seed. That's what Jesus compares to the kingdom of God. In Acts 1.15, we get an account of just how big the size of the church was. And it says, as Peter stood up to address the brothers, the company was about 120 people. 120 people. That's not much bigger than what we're sitting in right now. That was the size of the church, 120. Insignificant, small, in the scope of all the nation, in the scope of all the world. And yet the kingdom of God starting so small, yet as the word of God reaches into each nation, into the kingdom, you see that kingdom expand, you see the tree grow, you see the branches start to expand. Till one day it is larger than all the garden plants, large enough to provide shade and comfort. In the Old Testament, a large tree was used to compare with kingdoms and nations that were powerful and great. We're finishing up here. I know we're going a little long. Ezekiel 31, 3 to 6. Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering heights, its top among the clouds. 
The water nourished it, the deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field. It grows large, and its branches long from abundant waters in its shoot. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. This was Assyria. This is how great this kingdom was. This is how massive this, this, this kingdom and this, how powerful it was. It was compared to a tree, a ginormous tree, a tree bigger than all the other trees. Far greater than Assyria is the kingdom of God. Thus, like a mustard seed that is matured by the earth and grown to be great in stature, so is the kingdom of God, although started small with weak men, it will continue to grow with weak men and a mighty God. And it's going to continue to grow until it's bigger than all the other nations and kingdoms that surround. And how does this happen? This is why it took so long in the first parable. God uses servants who are faithful, who are obedient, to be lights in the world and those around, to share of the truth of the gospel, and to watch as God uses that word, as God uses that, that gospel to reveal and to, to allow the scales to fall from an individual's eyes, to watch as their heart of stone turns to a heart of flesh, to watch as their, their heart is replaced with a regenerated one, And all of a sudden, the word is alive to them. All of a sudden, they know God better. All of a sudden, they know God, who he is. And that little mustard seed that started with his sharing and just being faithful as a farmer, spreading out seed, that little mustard seed God uses and plants in the ground, and he matures it. He grows it. He comes alongside them. And you see that first little blade appear. And then you see the ear. And then you feel, see it fully sprout. And that all started going back to that first parable. Being faithful, obedient servants to God. Not hiding the light. Not turning the flashlight on and putting it somewhere else. But because we love our Lord, because we're faithful and obedient to him, going out and sharing this light to those around us. And then you see those saved by God. You see this kingdom grow and expand. And it all started with that faithful, obedient servant. We already have an example by our Lord and Savior how to be an obedient servant to our God. We don't have to go far to learn how. If you don't know how, again, come to me. Come to one of the elders. Come to one of your brothers and sisters. Get into the word. Understand what it is to be an obedient servant. We have an example. We don't need to guess. And as we're faithful, as we're obedient, this kingdom continues to grow until one day we can see the fruits of David's word in Psalm 110, where he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Our Lord, Jesus, the Christ, is reigning now. 
His kingdom is expanding. Are we faithful, obedient servants? Pray that we are. Mark ends this section of the parables with this. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Parables were shared with those around. They were an interpretation. An interpretation was needed to understand. But we see for the disciples, Jesus explained everything to them. There was not a mystery to them. There was not a wonder about what the parables meant. Jesus explained everything. With the aid of Christ, the disciples were able to understand. And the beauty that I leave you with all today, you heard a lot this morning on being obedient. You heard a lot this morning on the seed growing. You heard a lot this morning on the kingdom expanding. And I would say to you, just like these disciples were able to get these explained to them by Jesus, so are you this morning capable of understanding God's word. So are you this morning able to go home, and if you have questions, if you have answers that are just bugging you, you've been given the Spirit to guide you, to teach you, to walk you through the Scriptures, to be able to understand We're not unlike the disciples in that we also have an interpreter. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the joys of being the Lord's, and thus, let us be faithful and obedient, continuing to listen and learn and understand the truths of the gospel and our God, and be that faithful servant. With that, I close with Proverbs 3. Five to six. A truth for us to understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's lean on acknowledging him, let's lean on his understanding this week, beloved, and go out and share to the world of who this God is, of who Christ is, of this light that we have. Don't turn it off. Don't hide it away. Share it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we are thankful to be called yours. We are thankful to be able to come forward to you even right now in this prayer. Understand that you have given us much and we have given you little. I pray that what we do give you would be faithful and obedient to your words. That we would go out longing to walk in your paths, to do what is right in your eyes and not ours. Lord, we give thanks to you to be able to worship you on this Sunday. I pray that we would walk out of this place different than when we walked in, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.